For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode 22, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a very, very long time. I got Ted Naiman with me, and he's kind of the guy that really got me to understand how important protein is in its role in satiety, as well as building lean mass and even understanding insulin resistance, which um, I'm sure that we'll kind of get to that. So, uh, Ted, give a, a brief intro of yourself, and uh, of course, how are you doing as well? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Uh, just uh, intro, I'm a primary care doctor in the Seattle area. I've been doing primary care for about 20 years, and my special interest is diet and exercise for health and uh, health outcomes, especially when it comes to body composition, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, and then how you can get sicker or healthier with diet and exercise. You know what I'm saying? Nice. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, great introduction. Um, so... Your explanation of insulin resistance was the way, or really was the most simple way I ever heard it put, because I heard a lot of people when I initially kind of got into this whole diet and lifestyle sphere, um, to give a brief background on myself, because I really haven't talked about this on the podcast all that much. Um, I was about 250 pounds, probably about three years ago, and I kept hearing people talk about the carnivore diet, and I was just eating all the processed junk in the world that said high protein on it and, you know, downing everything that I could possibly get my hands on. And I thought I was healthy because I worked out, but Lord did I know that I had about 70 pounds to lose to get to being somewhat lean, but still, you know, I still have room to go, but leaving that aside, um, went carnivore and that worked really, really well until essentially it didn't. And I was hungry and I was tired. I didn't feel good. I wasn't building as much muscle as I wanted to. And I had these like, binges real bad binges where i would you know like two weeks i'd be perfect and then all of a sudden i'd get that little taste of sugar and then game over man <laughs> you know face down two cheesecakes later but uh um your explanation of insulin resistance as i understood it was basically where the fat cells can no longer take in fat or glucose and they reject that and put it into the bloodstream and eventually that can make it its way to your viscera, which is basically the fat surrounding your organs. Does that approximate it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Basically, yeah. You fill up all your fat cells. Uh, 
they don't want any well first of all your fat cells don't want any more fat your triglycerides start going up which is fat mm-hmm. energy in your bloodstream and then when every cell in your body is filled with fat your muscle cells your fat cells uh then all these cells start refusing glucose and then the glucose stacks up in your bloodstream and that's basically type 2 diabetes which is end stage insulin resistance so yeah it, it's basically just getting more and more and more internally over fat where you fill up you know first your subcutaneous adipocytes get filled up and then you start storing visceral fat and those get filled up and then you shove fat in your liver and your pancreas and your organs and those all get filled and once like every cell is full and your liver and your muscle and everything's maxed out with fat, then your cells are like, uh, no, we don't want any glucose. We already have energy toxicity, so forget it. And then the glucose just stays in your bloodstream. And that's diabetes and that's insulin resistance. So yeah, it's basically just progressive over-fatness. Internal over-fatness are literally filling up all your fat cells. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, very simple to understand. Like I said, I heard so many people say it in podcasts, and I just, I could never quite grapple with it until I heard your explanation of it. And I, I think that's important for a lot of people because they may hear these terms and it sounds pretty arbitrary until you kind of break it down to that level. So another thing that um, you talk a lot about is the protein to energy ratio. And you wrote a whole book on it. And this was huge for me. And this is kind of what I tell people, and you can tell me if this is good advice or not. Um, If you want to start on a weight loss journey, let's try to get your protein up and just do like 10 minute walks after each meal. I know that's a big stand efforting thing, but I find that my digestion, the way I feel overall is much better when I get my walks in. And, you know, I do eat a higher protein diet because protein helps with satiation and also building lean tissue. Um, Those two things alone, I feel like are the probably 50%, if not more of what's needed to just get you started to losing weight. And, you know, you might, that might be all that some people need, but um, yeah, what, what's the, um, you know, what's kind of your take on that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent, like protein percent and then walking more <laughs> would get, you know, most people, most of the way to where they want to be. I mean, that those two are just enormous. Those are, you know, two, probably the two biggest rocks in the entire jar. Uh, protein percent is probably the single largest satiety per calorie rock in the jar, the single largest lever you can pull. Uh, that's why I wrote a whole book on it. And then just non-exercise activity thermogenesis is the biggest um exercise piece so just simple walking yeah i mean if you basically if you get to at least 30 percent of your calories from protein and hit your 10,000 steps a day uh, i mean you're basically going to get almost everybody uh cured of their pre-diabetes or you know reversing their insulin resistance and at least most of the way to where where they want to be health-wise yeah like i said um I found that to be incredibly effective for myself. And I feel like that's kind of a, a low barrier entry where just about anybody can do that unless you're, you know, severely overfed to the point that you can't really walk. But I feel like a majority of people can just get up to do the 10 minute walk, you know, Hey, once you're done eating, just grab your leash, go for a walk with a dog, whatever you got. And it's very, very sustainable because it's not high impact. It's not like painful to do. It's not like working out or going to failure or anything like that. But, um, that kind of steps on to the other thing is, um, you know, your approach to exercise is interesting as well. I was just watching before um, we hopped on here, your um, the one video you put up of you doing all calisthenics. And I feel like that's another thing that's a low barrier to entry that a lot of people don't consider. And 
people tend to think of exercise as like an all or nothing thing. People look at it as I have to do an hour of cardio every day. And then I have to go to the gym for two hours and deadlift 300 pounds every single day until I'm absolutely sore and destroyed. And they go to these binary extremes and nobody just wants to kind of take the middle of the road route that's sustainable. Um, so, you know, what does it look like when you recommend your clients or just the average person to get started on, you know, kind of a, a journey to health? Yeah, I mean, just like you said, like there's so much overhead when it comes to like, you know, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to plan this huge routine and I'm going to have all my push and pull and leg days and my cardio and I have to have all the equipment and all the time and all the travel and uh, like it's such a big thing that the sustainability gets, you know, lower and lower and lower, the bigger and more complicated it is. And so I like to just start in on the ground floor where like, okay, you need to do some sort of pushing exercise to failure at least twice a week. Uh, just get on the floor and do a set of the hardest push-up variation you can do all the way to failure. Like right now, boom, done. And, and so if, you know, so I have all these clients who basically just every single day, they max out on a set of push-ups. They, it's as hard as they can possibly stand. They go all the way to failure. Uh, if a regular push-up is too hard for them, they're doing, you know, pseudo planche push-ups or one-arm push-ups or archer push-ups or just some sort of variation, you know, diamond push-ups, something to make it harder so you can fail in a reasonable maybe 10 rep range. And so uh, that's how you do these like interstitial mini nano workouts that you can fit in anywhere anytime it's not a big elaborate production and then the sustainability of, is off the charts and that's really what you're looking for like you know if i take anybody and have them do the hardest set of push-ups uh they can possibly do every day for the next decade i mean they're gonna have crazy hypertrophy and strength in their pushing chain mm -hmm. um versus someone who plans this big elaborate gym routine and ends up only going like you know once a month or maybe it falls off from there or maybe they just never even go back and it's really all about sustainability it's really all about consistency it's really all about just doing something day after day after day forever and the simpler you can make it the easier you can make it the the more you can democratize it where anybody can do it without any equipment or time or money or whatever uh the better and so i'm all about like extreme minimalism and i'm like okay you need like a something to pull on like a pull-up bar or a mm -hmm. suspension trainer and that's it everything else is just like push pull squats uh body weight floor something to pull on done and the whole book is just centered around doing a full workout with body weight. I don't have anything against weights or the gym. And if you have all that, that's awesome. If you love that, you're set. That's brilliant. Um, but you know, let's let's make it accessible to anybody anywhere. Yeah, and I think that's very, very reasonable. And it's definitely what a lot of people need because I think a lot of people get scared because once again, it's these binary extremes where people look at it as well. If I have to do this perfect push pull legs six days a week, and this is an hour out of my day, this is an hour I'm not spending with my family that I can't get work done, then well, it's just not even worth doing. Um, so kind of pivoting, kind of still on the subject of binary extremes. Carnivore and vegan are obviously two kind of big things lately, as well as keto. And, you know, like I mentioned kind of earlier, I did do a carnivore diet, but one of these pitfalls I see, and it's really, really funny, a lot of people do carnivore and I don't have a problem with that, but 
people will be getting the fattest ribeyes they could possibly get. They're going to get their coffee and they're going to dump a whole jug of heavy whipping cream in it and then get a stick of butter and cook their um, ribeye in that and get another stick of butter and put it in their coffee. And then they'll say they can't lose weight or they'll have a cheat and their cheat will be like a strawberry. And they'll say, oh my God, carbohydrates are terrible. Look, I had one strawberry and I gained three pounds, but then you left out the you know whole pound of brisket, the ribeye coated in butter that you had, and you're blaming the strawberry for that. Well, what about all these calories of fat that your body has nothing to do with? You know, and I noticed um, that people think it's you know oh it's got to be carbs, it's got to be the saturated fat. Um, these binary extremes, people just gravitate towards them because they think it's attractive, it's sexy. You know, if you just eat meat, you're going to lose weight. But, you know, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of give and take here. Yeah, yeah, right. So, like, every single thing on Earth is on this U-shaped curve, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you get none of it, you're going to die. And if you get too much of it, you're going to die. But if you get to the top of the U, there's this sweet spot where, like, mm -hmm. boom, you get the very best outcomes for whatever the X axis parameter is, right? So, protein is definitely on this u-shaped curve right if your protein is too low you have to overeat carbon fats to get enough protein and not be hungry you're going to massively overeat calories if your protein's way too hard you're going to be starving out of your mind you're going to feel like garbage and you, you know you just can't do it uh but you get that protein percent you know nailed and you just cruise right down to your ideal body composition and stay there as long as you're lifting of course um so like you know carbs are the same way right? Everyone's like, oh, yeah, carbs are bad. Everybody eats too many carbs. Uh, I lowered my carbs, got an awesome result. Uh, I'm going to take it to the logical extreme. If less carbs is better, the best, it would be absolutely zero carbs. And what would be better than just never eating any plants? Like that's automatically zero carbs. That has to be the best. Uh, I, you know, you just extrapolate. It's like logical geometry, right? Uh, a lot of carbs is horrible. Low carb is awesome. Ergo, zero carbs has to be the best carnivore. Boom. Yeah, it doesn't actually work that way. When you get your total carbohydrate below about 10%, satiety per calorie starts going very dramatically negative, the wrong direction. Like you're literally, you literally have this bit of carbohydrate hunger and you have to massively overeat calories from fat to try to curb that. You know, let's say you ate no carbs all day long. You had a ton of protein. You just basically had steak and eggs. Great. Um, but you're still a little bit hungry. You know, humans are wired to uh, have a hunger for carbohydrates specifically. This is a scientific fact. And so at that point in your day, you could either eat four pounds of strawberries, which is only you know, like hundred grams of carbs, like maybe four, 400 calories. It's nothing like you'd be so full. You'd have so much satiety per calorie. It would be off the charts. You wouldn't even need that much for sure. Like, I don't think anyone could eat that much, but you could even just eat a couple apples, you know, maybe 25, 50 grams of carbs, um, huge satiety. Um, or you could just sit there with your five pound bag of macadamia nuts and you're in your pantry at 10 o'clock at night, like eating like your body weight and you can eat 3000 calories of those. And it's giving you basically no additional satiety and the satiety per calorie at that point when you've already eaten protein fat all day long is horrible. It's like terrible. So the, the sweet spot is definitely low-ish carb, but not zero carb. I mean, I, I, honestly, the very lowest ad-lib calorie intake is at a, a total um, net carbohydrate, non-fiber carbohydrate of like 20 
percent of your calories. You know what I'm saying? So you do want to be low carb, but you don't want to be zero. Um, anytime you go all or nothing on any of these parameters, it's not good. You do not want to be 100% plant-based because you're really throwing, you know, a lot of good stuff out the window. You don't want to be a hundred percent carnivore because humans are scientifically omnivores and we get a lot of benefits from eating plant foods. We get a lot more folate. We get a lot of more magnesium. There's a reason to eat both. There's a reason why most humans uh, eat both of these. And so um, you, you kind of don't want to go to the extremes. You don't want to go to the extremes on protein either. Like you have to find the sweet spot in the center of that you, which is slightly different for everyone, but in general, it's, it's definitely higher on protein than what most people are targeting. And it's definitely lower on carbs than the average American is hitting. That's for sure. Uh, and so like, you know, my big focus in the book is dial up your protein and dial down your net carbohydrates. That's kind of directionally the way most people need to head. Um, but you don't want to go to zero. Yeah. I am not a, I'm not a big fan. Yeah. Like I said, I did carnivore for two years and I remember, um, <laughs> I would lose a bunch of weight and I do all these crazy fasts. I did a five day fast and I lost like 25 pounds, but then I just remember, you know, thinking, all right, well, when I finally break this fast, I'm going to be reasonable about it. I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to eat a whole ton of food. And surely enough, next thing you know, I had liver, I had like two steaks, I had six eggs and later on I had more bacon. And then, you know, I said, all right, well, I'm not going to cheat tonight. And the next thing you know, I'm face down some cheesecake and a Wagyu steak with my, um, my dad and older brother at a restaurant. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, when you want to do these insanely restrictive diets, you got to think about the sustainability factor. And I don't think anybody yeah. really does. People just look at these binary extremes because it sounds good. And you get this immediate gratification, especially with low carb diets, because you lose all that stored glycogen, right? Mm -hmm. So you lose this weight and it's like this weight drops fast. So you're like, man, this is awesome. I'm losing all this weight. But then I think I've heard you even say it in um, different podcasts that um, you plateau and you're not quite where you want to be. So you either got to crank up the exercise or crank down the calories and either one's going to really suck. So why don't we introduce some carbohydrates? So you feel a little bit better. You get a little bit more glycogen, your workouts are more productive and introduce a little bit more exercise instead of, you know, having to fight for one or the other. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and at that point, it's all about the satiety per calorie where, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're, if we're, if we're both eating, you know, nothing but steak all day, and then you eat a salad and I just eat another steak, <laughs> your satiety per calorie jumped up sharply mm -hmm. compared to mine. Um, so it's just, it really, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the, the fact that um, going carnivore is like pressing the easy button on radically improving your protein percentage. Mm -hmm. It's such a no brainer. Uh, but then like when you're super strict religious about it and you just say, I will never eat a plant food, you're just completely shooting yourself in the foot. And I, I just can't, I can't get on board with that. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Yeah. And it seems to be kind of waning. And like you said, it's good because it increases protein and I do think people probably should eat more meat, but to go to that binary extreme, I think a lot of people will find that you're not going to be able to sustain it. And, you know, now I'm a little bit, I don't want to say I'm necessarily a flexible dieting guy, but where my macros at are now, I'm usually at about 205 grams of protein, um, about 190 grams of fat and about 205 grams of carbohydrate a day. And I feel satiated. My workouts are much better. Um, 
I get to enjoy foods that I want to enjoy. Um, sometimes they even sneak a little bit of junk food in there, if you want to call it that. But, you know, I think people, like you said, shoot themselves in the foot when they expect to be able to sustain um, doing this extremely restrictive diet. So kind of tapping on that end, what's your thoughts on cholesterol and saturated fat? Because that's been a very, very hotly debated topic. Some people think that, you know, this little bit of cholesterol is going to kill you. Some people say, you know, oh, saturated fat and cholesterol, you know, eat as much as you want. If your LDL is 900, then you're perfectly fine. Right, right, right. So in the low carb world, we're famous for just demonizing uh, glucose type carbohydrates, like digestible glycemic carbs, like your sugar and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. We're like, uh, no human ever needs to eat this. Um, it's basically just, um, a bunch of empty calories, right? Like why, you know, the less sugar you eat, the less glycemic carbs, the better, um, you know, this bread is 10 teaspoons of sugar and this, you know, cereal is 30 teaspoons of sugar and you just don't need all this. Um, I think what people don't realize is saturated fat is the exact same thing on the vegan car vegan and carnivore are just opposite sides of the same coin and saturated fat plays the exact same role in carnivore that sugar and glycemic carbs does in the in the vegan world. There's zero requirement for saturated fat in the human diet because we make saturated fat just great. That's what we do with any extra calories. Like we're awesome at it. You never have to eat any saturated fat. It literally is just empty calories. You do not need to eat it. And this triggers people in the low carb world bad, right? They, they don't want to hear that. Some people like worship saturated fat. They're like, ah, butter, heavy cream, bacon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, a great all, fed rib. <laughs> yeah, they're all empty calories. Like uh, you absolutely have to eat PUFA. Uh, some uh, polyunsaturated fats are essential. Uh, your omega threes, your omega sixes, these are essential fatty acids that you have to eat at least a little bit of. Saturated fat, you don't need any. Um, so I'm not a huge fan, and I'm not a fan because I'm scared that it's going to raise your cholesterol. Although it does actually raise cholesterol, that's a scientific fact. Um, uh, but I'm more afraid of it because it's empty calories. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, uh, fairly poor for satiety per calorie, just like sugar is poor for satiety per calorie. So sugar and saturated fat are opposite sides of the same coin, both dil diluting out protein and minerals and micronutrients and all the things that you really need nutritionally and all the things that you really are looking for when it comes to satiety per calorie. Now they're both fairly harmless. If you're super lean and you're metabolically healthy, you can basically eat all the saturated fat you want and it just goes straight in your fat cells, no problem. Um, but if you're over fat, eating more saturated fat is a huge problem. Like it's really going to make you more insulin resistant. Same thing with sugar. If I'm super lean, super active, super healthy, I can eat all the sugar I want. No problem. Just replenishes glycogen in my liver and muscles. But if I'm over fat and I already have fatty liver and I already have ectopic fat and I already have insulin resistance and I eat more sugar, that's just completely bad. Uh, but what people, you know, uh, people who, you know, read my book, the PE diet, and we have protein up here, and then carbs and fats are down here, where you're trying to minimize both of them kind of equally, uh, understand that sugar and saturated fat are really uh, quite comparable um, in terms of their empty calorie, low satiety per calorie uh, role. So I, I hate to say that because all the all the carnivores just don't want to hear that. But I, mm. I'm here to tell people what they need to hear, not what they <laughs> want to hear. Right. And I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to go about explaining it. Um, 
and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but to me, it kind of looks like the saturated fat and sugar debate because, well, low carb people will tell you that sugar is going to kill you. Sugar is inherently bad for you. And then perhaps a lot of the plant-based or even flexible dieting people will tell you saturated fat's bad for you and it's going to kill you. Um, do you think it's more so that the empty calories provide no satiety and it causes you to overeat, which then causes the illness? Kind of like the chicken or the egg. Do you think the saturated fat and sugar cause you to overconsume because they're empty calories? Or do you think that they are inherently bad? Uh, I think it's absolutely both. So the, okay. the sugar and the saturated fat, these empty calories uh, dilute out the protein and minerals in your food and you just passively overconsume them both and end up storing them and you just slowly get fatter and fatter and fatter. Uh, not really harming you as long as you're way below your personal fat threshold. If I have plenty of storage space, uh, it doesn't matter. I can get away with that. But once I start getting over fat, once there's too much fat in my bloodstream, my triglycerides are high, my fasting insulin's high. Once uh, my fasting glucose starts going up or I'm pre-diabetic, then they're going to acutely actively be bad. Like uh, basically people who are pre-diabetic or even diabetic, uh, they eat a bunch of glycemic carbs and their sugar goes through the roof and this glycates their proteins and that's actively bad for you. It damages your endothelium. It's like literally bad. Uh, at the same time, if you eat a bunch of saturated fat, if you're a diabetic and you eat a whole stick of butter right now, nothing happens to your glucometer right away, but you wake up the next morning and your mm -hmm. sugar is like 60 points higher than it's ever been. Uh, and so people, there's this huge delay between when you ingest saturated fat and when it completely destroys your blood sugar the next day when you're diabetic, that people give fat a free pass because they don't understand this. They don't understand mm -hmm. that glucose is a volatile fuel that effectively floats on top of the fat in your bloodstream. And the majority of energy in your bloodstream is fat most of the time. And so when you eat all this fat, it gives you like a super high blood sugar the next morning. And a lot of people don't understand that. And so they're like, oh, carbs are bad and fat's fine. And they're like, oh, my sugar, you know, it's 50 points higher this morning. I don't understand. I didn't eat any carbs at all. I didn't even eat a cucumber because it was like one carb. You know what I mean? How could my sugar be so high? Uh, it's probably all the bacon and the saturated fat you ate. Um, so, so basically it's both like when you're below your personal fat threshold and insulin sensitive, they're just diluting out nutrients and adding calories that you're passively overeating, making you steadily get fatter. Once you're over fat, both of them literally screw up your health actively because you're dangerously energy toxic and the energy in your bloodstream and your cells is going up, which is bad for your mitochondria and your endothelium and your organs and everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I never heard anybody really talk about that. And it seems like CGMs are a thing that's pop popping up a lot lately. Um, continuous glucose monitors, in case anybody doesn't know what we're talking about. But, uh, you know, they'll say, oh, well, I had this carbohydrate, my insulin spiked this much or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they don't consider, you know, the long term or acute response. You know, it, it, you know, you may eat a ton of carbohydrates and your insulin may go super high, but it's going to come right back down. Right. Right. But, you know, if you eat a ton of saturated fat or, you know, drink your whole coffee with a stick of butter, heavy cream and MCT oil, and that's all you had, but you're fasting, then, you know, like you said, it may take a little bit longer, but your um, resting blood sugars will be a little bit higher because it's a delayed response. Because um, as far as I understand it, the fat takes longer to get into your blood versus glucose, which is a more readily available fuel. 
Exactly. That's exactly how it works. And, and interestingly, the area under the curve for things like insulin and glucose are very similar isocalorically. Um, so there's not as much difference as people would like to think. Um, there's just a huge delay on the fat side. Yeah. Like I said, you see all these people who, um, you know, think that if a little fat's good, then more must be better. And I know people personally, and I, I love these people dearly, but, um, you know, they, they smear butter all over stuff and try to get the fattiest cut of meat that they can. And they think that, oh, well, like I said, if, if a little bit of fat, of fat is good, then more must be better. Um, so I guess pivoting to another point, what do you find diet wise usually ends up working the best and being the most sustainable for people? Like what kind of foods do you find that people more so gravitate towards? So honestly, the very, very best and most sustainable approach, in my opinion, is to take exactly what you're eating now, all the foods you like and that you are used to and that you're, you know, you're going out of your way to get, and then tweaking them and finding some sort of way to make the protein percent higher and the fiber higher, and then the net carbs and the grams of fat lower. So like, okay, you're eating... Um, you know, eggs and bacon for breakfast. Uh, it, well, now you want to eat two eggs and two egg whites uh, or some turkey bacon. You know what I'm saying? A little higher protein percent, a little bit lower um, glycemic carbs, a little bit lower saturated fat. You trade in your, um, you know, cornflakes for like oatmeal. That would be a higher protein percent, more fiber, lower glycemic carbs. Um, you just make little substitutions. You take whatever food you're eating now and find a slight substitution that's going to bump up the protein and fat a little and uh, drive down the net carbs and the fat a little bit. And you're just incrementally um, sort of like progressing it almost like you would in the gym lifting weights, right? Like, so you're not just going to drop a 500 pound barbell on somebody to bench press when they're a total noob, right? Uh, it would be the same thing if you're like, okay, boom, you're carnivore now. Like all you get to eat is just ribeye, right? <laughs> That's like the same thing. No, you, you, you know, you start out with just the bar and once you got some good form, some reps, you stick like a microplate on there. You know what I mean? That's what you're trying to do with your diet. It's just like a slight progression and you're trying to do it in a sustainable way. Okay. Are, can you just eat nothing but ribeye forever? Hell no. But could you switch from the fattiest bacon you can possibly find to like some turkey bacon? Yeah. Could you go from like, uh, you know, just a brick of cheese to like a brick of low fat cheese, which is going to be way higher protein percent, higher satiety per calorie. It's yeah, you could probably do that. So you're like making these little substitutions. So I like just looking for foods that people like that are slightly higher in protein fiber, slightly lower in net carbs and fat. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's a very, very sustainable way. That kind of dovetails nicely into the conversation around artificial sweeteners. Now, I see a lot of people who freak out about sucralose and aspartame, but as far as I can see, and from what I hear from people who are way, way smarter than me in this stuff, um, it, it doesn't seem like they're that bad. It seems like typically what they do with these experiments, which they did, from what I understand, with salt as well, is that they get mice and then they give them a whole ginormous bag full of you know aspartame or salt or sucralose and then the rat dies or something like that and then they say look it's bad but you know they're stripping out the context of the small amount of sucralose that you put in your coffee or you get in a gatorade propyl or propel 
Jesus, it's a thing with me and my fiance. <laughs> but, you know, the small amount of aspartame or whatever you get in the stuff you're consuming in your day-to-day life is nowhere near the same amount that they're giving these rodents in tests. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts around artificial sweeteners? Do you think there's damage to the gut? Do you think they're bad? Um, or do you think, you know, good to go? I love artificial sweeteners. I'm like completely unafraid of this crap, right? So uh, these are some extremely well-studied molecules. And, you know, aspartame is one of the best studied chemicals on the planet. We have a ridiculous number of studies on aspartame. This is basically metabolized into two naturally occurring amino acids that are super harmless. It's completely harmless. Uh, I am a zero afraid of aspartame. It's completely great. Uh, it, it, it literally satisfies a sweet taste that humans have a hunger for, uh, with no calories. So it's a massive win. We have studies showing that people drinking diet soda, um, actually lose more weight than people who are randomized in RCT to drink water because probably because it's satisfying a sweet craving that they have for no calories at all. So, uh, I love diet soda, love artificial sweeteners. I love aspartame. I love erythritol. I, lo- I love sucralose. I'm not afraid of any of these. Um, a lot of people freak out about these, and, which I think is ridiculous, and they're quite harmless. And all the like GI microbiome studies are using just insane, ridiculous quantities in other mammals, and it's just uh, it's the, the you know we have none of that in humans. You show me any study where these artificial sweeteners damage humans in any way. There's like a glycemic index of zero, insulin index of zero. People lose more weight on artificial sweeteners than water. Uh, there's no GI microbiome data in humans, especially consuming just reasonable amounts. And uh, yeah, so I am completely unafraid of this stuff. I actually think it's a hack that is quite helpful. And all of your bodybuilders and your bikini models and your Instagram aesthetic people are using the hell out of these artificial sweeteners and they're all ripped and jacked and they could probably kill you and I both with their bare hands. And <laughs> like, like I, there's just nothing to be afraid of there. There's just so many things in life that you could be afraid of legit. You got a triage and aspartame is not it, bro. I'm like telling people like that's that you gotta, you gotta think bigger on things to be afraid of. For real. I mean, if, if this gets out to the carnivores and low carb people, they'll, uh, they'll have your head, man. I'm telling you. I know I'm actually super <laughs> unpopular. Like uh, right now, like there, there was three people still listening. Now it's zero, like for sure. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh no, man. This is your last good. podcast, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it won't make it to quarter of a hundred, you know, right. we're, we're, uh, we're, we're just kicking people out left and right here. Um, so that kind of gets to another question. You mentioned weight loss a lot. It seems like there's a lot of science coming around, coming out surrounding the speed of weight loss. Um, and it seems like to me that it suggests that people who lose weight slower tend to maintain a better metabolic rate and they tend to keep the weight off a lot better. I'm sure everybody heard the stat that 95% of diets fail after three years. So it's, you know, 75% of people fail after the first year, 85 after the second year, and then 95 after the third year. Um, For me, especially, I found this to be true. I started using uh, Lane Norton's um, Carbon Diet Coach app. And when I slowly lost the weight, it felt so much easier 
and especially after going off carnivore where i was you know just in this extreme you know i'd lose a bunch of weight during the week and then all of a sudden i'd binge i'd gain all the weight back and it's just this never-ending cycle um to me it seems like when you take a more reasonable approach where okay you monitor your weight and you lose the weight slowly and maybe you even stop you take a little diet break to me it felt very sustainable and i think to me, it looks like that's the best way to go about weight loss. And, you know, you do see a lot of people that say that, oh, I want to lose 20 pounds yesterday. So I need to get all this all off me now. So what's your thoughts on kind of the uh, stuff surrounding the speed of weight loss and how that maintains metabolism? Gotcha. Okay. So the fatter and more energy toxic you are, the faster you can lose weight and the faster you will lose weight and the faster I want you to lose weight. As you get thinner and thinner and thinner and more metabolically healthy, the slower, the better. You know what I'm saying? So if you're like a 600-pound, uh, horrifically diabetic, your blood sugar is 500. Oh, yeah, just like, you know, just have one protein shake a day for the first month and boom, you'll lose like 60 pounds and your blood sugar will be normal. And that would be awesome. Like, I want, you know, the fastest weight loss ever. So it's like this exponential curve where if you're super overweight and super insulin resistant, you lose weight the fastest and that's normal and that's natural and that should happen and that's what we want to happen. So the the more insulin resistant over fat you are, the faster your weight, you'll lose weight and that's good a good thing. But as you get thinner and thinner, if you're fairly, if you're pretty much metabolically healthy, now the slower you go, the better. And when you, as you get lower and lower and lower, if you like, if you're, you know, 14% body fat and you just want to walk around at 12%, I want you to, you know, that's a one-year project right there. You know what I'm saying? As you get closer and closer and closer to your ideal body weight, it just planes out asymptotically and takes longer and longer and longer. And then to lose the last one pound and just walk around thinner and keep it off forever, it's going to take you, you know, like half a decade. So you're you're basically going from, boom, you lose 20 pounds the first week because you're you know, massively energy toxic and over fat uh, to like, okay, it takes you like, five years to get one percent down to your absolute ideal body composition and that's the way you want to do it right you the the thinner and healthier you are the slower you want to go there's this ratio of fat loss to fat free mass loss so basically it's fat uh, to total body weight loss and you know ideally you want 100 percent. you want to lose just 100 percent fat and zero mm-hmm. percent fat free mass no, no lean mass um, that never happens. I mean, but you you get a lot higher percentages of fat loss when you're really over fat, right? And then as you get thinner and thinner and thinner, it gets worse. It gets harder. It gets uglier. If you're like pretty lean and you just fast, you just stop eating, half of what you lose is lean mass. Like it's disastrous. Um, if you just look at like the average person just trying to diet, you end up losing about three-fourths of your weight as fat mass and one fourth of your weight as fat free mass, lean mass loss. So that's like average person just going on a diet. Uh, 75% is fat, 25% is lean mass. But you can really tweak that to more like 90% fat loss and only 10% lean mass loss by number one, prioritizing the hell out of protein. Number two, doing resistance exercise the whole time to keep your muscles. And number three, going as slow as you can, keep the caloric deficit only like 300 calories a day. Um, uh, do it really slow, really gradual, no crash dieting. And then you're going to get 90% of that weight loss as fat and only 10% as fat free mass. And then you're going to maintain your metabolic rate. Um, and then you're not going to be as hungry. And then you're going to keep the weight off and 
you're not just, if you just stop eating and like half of what you lose is lean mass and you boom you're going to rebound uh you're going to refeed on just a jar of peanut butter you're going to instantly gain all the fat back your metabolic rate's actually going to still be lower um you might end up fatter than you were before it's just going to be bad right so yeah absolutely the slower the better as you get leaner and healthier right right and I think it's good for people to hear that, like, look, this doesn't have to be a super extreme thing. Um, What were your thoughts? A lot of people talked about this, but um, I think it was the biggest loser where the people had lost a whole ton of weight and their metabolisms were damaged, for lack of a better word, um, years and years later. Um, You know, do you, do you see people in that kind of situation a lot? Or do you think that's more of an outlier where people kind of overtrain and over diet? No, I, I think that's definitely a real thing. And Kevin Hall's study is absolutely fascinating. And there really is something to this. Uh, and so you actually don't want this extraordinarily rapid um, fat loss through an extreme unsustainable uh, exercise volumes and extreme hypocaloric diets. This is not great. Um, and I don't, and I don't recommend it. It's really not, uh, you're, uh, it's going to be so hard to keep that off and you're just going to white knuckle it and then you're going to fail. And that's a part of the reason why 95% of diets fail. So yeah, you really do want to be a little bit more sustainable, right? Uh, you, you mostly want to just crank up your protein percent, only dial your calories back, you know, three to 500 maybe per day. And then throw in a little bit more cardio to drive a caloric deficit. So you're not, so you're doing half of it with diet and half with exercise. So it's not, um, you're not overdoing one or the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know you're all right. My dogs are just running around a little bit earlier. I'm sure you saw my dogs running around too. (laughs) Um, Oh, geez. I just lost my train of thought. Okay. No, no, actually. um, So that, um, when I heard about that, I thought that was really, really interesting that, you know, you could, people really damage their metabolism. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that people can, you know, lose that kind of weight and okay. Now I know where I want to go with that. I'm sorry. Um, I've heard the concept of fat cell hyperplasia where when people essentially lose all that weight and they damage our metabolism and metabolisms so much that when they regain the weight that they can actually get fatter than they were before. Um, have you ever seen that? And have you had to kind of train people back out of that? Um, <clears throat> so you're not really going to be fatter than you were before. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that happens is that if you're someone who's had a lot of uh, fat cell hyperplasia, so like, let's say, let's say you were, you know, super, super overweight and you may, you sprouted a trillion new fat cells, right? Just to hold all the fat. Uh, Then as you lose weight, as you lose fat, your fat cells all shrink down and your fat cells like to be a certain size. They like to be like half full, you know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. their job. And so your leptin gets really, really low if you've tried to deflate all of those fat cells and you just can't quite do it. So you're going to walk around <clears throat> with all those fat cells half full because that's the only that's all you can sustain without your leptin going any lower um, versus someone who is never over fat. They have way fewer fat cells. They can walk around with all their fat cells half full 
and they look a lot leaner. They are a lot leaner. They have a lower body fat percentage because they just physically have fewer fat cells. And, and that's why you just kind of never want to be overweight in the first place, mm-hmm. which is easier said than done. Like, of course, nobody wants to be overweight in the first place, but like you kind of don't want, that's why I really don't like when people do these sort of bulk and cut cycles, because when you're bulking, you might mm-hmm. actually have out of sight hyperplasia where you're sprouting new fat cells. And then they're permanently going to be there. Um, and it's really hard to get rid of them. I mean, if you're just super white knuckling at hypocaloric and trying to shrink those things down for like a decade, they do actually kind of go away a little bit. So you can eventually gradually get rid of some of that fat, but it takes forever. And so you basically don't want those extra fat cells in the first place, if possible. Right. Okay. So that was another thing that I kind of want to touch on you with, and I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, main gaining versus bulking and cutting. Um, you know, what's your go-to? It seems like you've uh, taken a liking to Greg Doucette, and I have too, as of recently. I like his cookbook. I like a lot of his content. I think he's hilarious. But, um, you know, I like the idea of main gaining because some people will take a bulk as a screw it. You know, everything's on the menu. Um but yeah, I'll kind of let you lead off on there. What's your opinion? Do you like main gaining? Do you like bulk and cut? I'm, yeah, I'm all in on main gaining. Like this, this bulk and cut thing is ridiculous. Uh, first of all, these extremes are never really good. And, and secondly, your whole mindset should be constantly trying to get a higher lean mass, more muscle and less fat at the same time. And you want to just constantly be leveraging both of those a little bit in a sustainable way and just keep it that way forever. You know what I mean? <clears throat> Because you're, you always want to be trying to gain muscle um, and doing, you know, optimal resistance exercise, you know, uh, to failure. You want to constantly be working on uh, lowering your body fat. Because if you just like live in the modern food environment, you're basically just steadily getting fatter. All Americans are getting fatter at like one to three pounds per year, just Mm -hmm. forever. And so it's like, you actively have to be trying to be less fat in the modern food environment at all times to not gain weight. So you should constantly have this mindset of trying to get higher lean mass, lower fat mass, and you're driving that with protein percent, satiety per calorie, uh, resistance exercise, cardio, all of these things. And so I like doing all of these a little bit all the time. You know what I'm saying? You're just constantly doing a little cardio, a little resistance, a little higher protein percent, a little lower carbs and fats, uh, you're trying to main gain, you're trying to recomp constantly, and you just do that forever um, versus like, okay, now I'm in a bulk phase, I'm going to gain a whole bunch of weight, only a little bit of it will be muscle, and then I have to cut all that weight off, and then I'll lose that little bit of muscle anyway when I'm dieting down because that's just part of what happened. And so it's like, it's just not, I don't like bulk and cut. I'm all in on the main gaining. I signed me up for team coach Craig for sure, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, uh, I tend to agree because um, the way that he put it, if I recall correctly, and the way you just kind of put it as well, was that, you know, you may gain, let's say five pounds of muscle, but you gain 10 pounds of fat. Well, now you have to cut that back off. And in the process of that, you're going to lose some lean mass as well. Right. Um, so this dovetails into something that we could pretty much, um, you know, I want to ask you this and we could probably wrap, but um, fasting. I used to be all in on fasting and one of the interviews I heard you do, you talked about Peter Atia and how he used to do the three days and the seven days. And I was really, really big on this too. At one point I said, man, you got to do the three day fasts and you know, your growth hormone goes up. So you're gonna be able to build muscle, but 
you know, it seems like fasting really only imposes a benefit in the fact that it imposes a caloric restriction. Um, other than that, do you maybe get increased growth hormone? Yeah, but it, it seems like that may not be a key driver developing muscle. And plus, if you don't have any calories, then you don't have any protein to build the muscle with. So, you know, what's your take on fasting? Yeah, like no matter how high your growth hormone goes up when you're fasting, you're not making any muscle, period. Uh, this huge growth hormone spike is a desperate attempt for your body to not just completely catabolize all your lean mass for calories, like a desperation trying to save a little bit of muscle, but never, hell no, not building any, absolutely mm -hmm. not, right? So uh, yeah, you're, you're basically just pure catabolic when you're fasting. And the goal is to try to lose more fat than muscle mm -hmm. and so that's why i like you know if you're going to do anything extended maybe a protein sparing modified fast where you're still eating some protein and lifting weights and just desperately trying to hang on to a little bit more muscle but fasting is one of these things that's definitely on this u-shaped curve right if you fast too long uh the percentage of muscle loss is easily 50 percent. like you're gonna you know if you if you do an extended fast as a lean person you're gonna lose half muscle half fat and when you go back to refeed, you're going to eat a whole jar of peanut butter and you're going to gain the fat back, boom, overnight. And the muscle is not quite as rapid. So I don't like extended fasting. It's gone, you've gone over the sweet spot of the U and you're on the other side, mm -hmm. especially if you're lean. Now, if you're dangerously over fat and uncontrolled diabetic, you can actually get away a little bit more with that because you have so much energy in your bloodstream, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but you still are gonna lose way more lean mass than you really wanted to. So I don't really recommend extended fasting. Um, uh, I think a little bit of fasting is good because it really gets you in touch with hunger and fullness. It gets you a little more fat adapted. You're not just constantly feeling like you have to eat a bowl of cornflakes. Like, you know, the <laughs> average American is eating, uh, has a 16 hour eating window and eats carbs eight times a day for 300 grams. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 300 grams, eight times a day, 16 hour window. And I feel like that gets people on a little bit of a blood sugar roller coaster where you're never letting yourself get hungry and you're just feeling this glycogen fall and then eating a snack. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, it's snack time, right? You know, because like I haven't had cornflakes for two hours. So now it's time yeah. for a snack. And so I feel like a little bit of intermittent fasting um, is helpful because it gets you more fat adapted and it gets you really in touch with hunger and fullness. And it gets you hungry enough that you could just eat some protein, like a chicken breast or something, instead of just like, you know, drinking a juice or eating, you know, pretzels or something that's just yeah. pure carbs to raise your glycogen. So uh, I like a little bit of intermittent fasting. I, I love 16-8. I think that's the sweet spot. For most people, you know, I, I love the whole like lean gain 16, eight thing. So if I just had to pick one thing for everybody, that would typically be where it's at. That's what I'm doing myself. And I'm not super rigid about it. If I'm really hungry, I'll eat sooner. If I'm not hungry, I'll eat later. Um, I try to listen to my body a little bit on that one. But um, I think that fasting is definitely on the U-shaped curve. You have to find the sweet spot. And it's not one meal a day. It's less than that. It's not multi-day fast. Right. And I totally think that's a reasonable way to go about it. Um, I guess one last question and we'll uh, rock and roll. Um, what do you think about cheat meals? So I've heard it said that if you're, let's say, glycogen depleted and you have a cheat meal, then you'll actually soak up some of those calories. And obviously the calories still matter, 
but because you're glycogen depleted that your muscle will absorb some of those you know the the glycogen from the carbohydrate so you know you have that big old piece of cheesecake then you could saturate your muscles with glycogen and you may not you know gain a ton of weight but you know you're not it's not quite as bad as people might think right right right. well there's kind of two different things there there's a there's a carb refeed right so you can have a carb refeed that has no fat at all like like bodybuilders will uh so if you're a bodybuilder in peak week what you do is you intentionally eat absolutely no carbs for three whole days and you actually work your ass off doing cardio for a glycogen depletion you do glycogen depletion workouts and eat no carbs for three days and you suck every bit of glycogen out of your body you're completely glycogen depleted then you do this carb load where you're eating you know anywhere from 300 to a thousand grams of carbs every day for two or three days mm-hmm. and you just massively pump all your muscles up with glycogen and you can get like uh, much more glycogen in there than was in there before because you did this depletion and then carb refeed if you do these carb refeeds with no fat at all um the the fat spillover is going to be minimal like so i actually love people who've been on super low carb diets to do some sort of carb refeed um, but maybe keep the fat extremely low. You know what I mean? Just like, uh, I don't really like sugar necessarily cause it's just like super low satiety per calorie, but you know, something like rice maybe or potatoes mm-hmm. or fruit or something like that. This is kind of good actually every once in a while, I think, um, that's different than a cheat meal. A cheat meal is always going to be carbs and fats together, right? right. Cheat meals, donuts and pizza and everything. And what a lot of low carbers do when they're cheating they're actually um, giving themselves a carb refeed, which is very helpful. But all the fat in these foods that are 50% carbs and fat together, the French fries, the pizza, the donuts, the, candy the milkshakes, bars, the cakes, the cookies, yeah. Um, your, 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 your goal is to get the carb refeed, but the 50% fat that comes with it just passively goes straight into your fat cells. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be more damaging. Um, now, like I do both of these all the time. I eat, I, I don't like whole, che- I, I don't recommend you know, So cheating is on a U-shaped curve too. I don't, you don't <laughs> want to cheat weekend. Yeah. You don't want to cheat week. You don't want to cheat weekend. You don't even want a whole cheat day. You might want one cheat meal or even better yet, just a cheat food here and there. That's what I do. Like I'll just sprinkle in a couple cheap foods, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I, I, so you have to find out where the cheating is going to work for you. Can you do 90, 10, like 90% pretty solid, clean foods with a higher type of calorie and 10% low type of calorie foods that are just basically sugar and oil mixed together, um, which is, you know, just going to be calories. And I think there, that's going to happen for most people and you have to make some room for it. But I also think that you might want to keep that mentally separate um from a carb refeed with no fat because that's like a little bit different physiologically the cheap food is spiking dopamine in your brain because we get a ton of dopamine release when we eat a food that's high carb high fat high energy density all three that's what we call the trifecta in the book right like your mm-hmm. like your pizza and your donuts um that's hedonic that's spiking dopamine um that's like lightly addictive you know what i mean a little bit different than just a pure carb refeed which would just be eating like rice cakes or rice Mm -hmm. or um something with no fat in it at all and there's room probably for both of those in most people's diet and 
um, it, it, it does, it, it, I think it's helpful to kind of separate those out mentally and realize when you're eating just a pure carb and replenishing glycogen versus when you're having a cheap food, which is carbs and fats together. And um, you probably are going to store some fat from that. Right. And that is the one thing I noticed about most hyperpalatable foods or foods that people tend to overconsume is that they're always high in carbs, they're high in fat and low in protein. Like right. you said, it's, it's the uh, trifecta and the uh, essentially most of the carnivore low carb people will say, oh, well, look, carbs are bad for me. Well, is it the carbs or is it the fact that they're mixed with hyperpalatable fats that are just so easy to overconsume? It's, it's probably the combination of both. It's not just the carbohydrates. Um, Ted, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Every time I hear you speak, I know I get a lot of value out of it. You distill things in a very, very easy and digestible way for the average person to understand. And I think you make um, understanding how to lose weight um, very simple for the average person. And for that, I'm sure I know I am and I know a lot of other people are grateful as well. So, uh, Ted, go ahead, plug your stuff. We'll get out of here. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, like... uh... Uh, basically the, the best thing I've produced is the book called the PE diet, and you can <clears throat> basically buy it anywhere books are sold, or you can go to the PE diet.com or tednaman.com, uh, to buy an online, uh, copy of the book. Uh, that's probably the most interesting thing I've got. Um, or you can follow me on social media. I'm at Ted Naiman on Twitter and places like that. Awesome. Well, one more time. I just want to thank you for coming on. Um, this was in Liberty and health episode 22. And uh, until next time, everybody, thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.